Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are saving you thousands on select Daikin heating systems. Upgrade to a Daikin high-efficiency heating system from Legacy today and spend the season warm and worry-free. Get thousands in rebates and federal tax incentives and enjoy flexible financing to suit your budget. Daikin systems deliver unbeatable comfort, cleaner, safer indoor air, and energy savings. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to view exclusive offers and get qualified now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps. I'm Eric Hansen, as the little name tag suggests. He's Tyler James sitting over in the other box. We are in the same county, just not in the same room. And this is Football Never Sleeps, the weekly Notre Dame football show where we talk Notre Dame football. We take your questions, your comments, and we'll even take um, Taylor Swift song requests if you would like Tyler to sing some of those. Um, we got lots to talk about tonight. Uh, we found out when spring practice starts. We already knew when it ended, but lots of stuff going on, including an assistant coach leaving for the NFL. And we met a lot of the newcomers on the Notre Dame football team on the defensive side and special teams this week. There's a whole bunch of other things we need to get to before we launch into it. Um, and it's all boring stuff that I don't know anything about. So I'll let Tyler tell you. <laughs> well, hopefully it's it's not as as boring as Eric makes it seem. Um, and this is probably only going to end poorly by me mentioning this, but I was actually singing karaoke on Saturday night, so I don't know that I have much of a voice left. So um, <laughs> let's let's not oh, do wow. any Taylor Swift requests. Um, we do not want to hear me sing. I'm more of an entertainer than a singer. Um, so uh, please subscribe to our channel here so i don't have to try to make a living as a bad karaoke singer um hit the bell for reminders um hit the like button on this video and, and as eric mentioned submit your questions during the show um, if you are new to the youtube process make sure that you've clicked through either to the youtube app or the youtube desktop site um so you can actually submit questions if you're watching us embedded somewhere whether that's on insideindysports.com our message board the entire lounge or somewhere on social media you won't be able to send us questions that we'll be able to see. So make sure you're click, you've clicked through. Um, the chat box should be to the right-hand side if you're on a desktop version of some kind. And if you're on a mobile version, uh, the uh, chat box should be below our talking head. So please submit those questions and, and try not to roast the idea of me singing. Um, lastly, if you're not a subscriber to InsideAnySports.com, there is still a 30-day free trial available for first-time subscribers. If you sign up uh, at the website and use promo code NDYT, you can get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge, which is where we spend a lot of our time and share our in information first. There should be a link uh, below in the video description to sign up if you want to take advantage of that. Now back to you, Eric. Okay. Tonight we're taking stock of Notre Dame after the departure of safety coach Chris O'Leary to the NFL to join Jim Harbaugh's staff with the L.A. Chargers. The Irish started spring semester classes and winter workouts four weeks ago and are closing in on the start of spring practice in less than a month, March 7th, to be exact. They're going to start, pause for spring break, and then restart. Um, and then uh, the wrap-up for spring practice is the Blue Gold game, April 20th at Notre Dame Stadium. Of course, it's on Peacock. And you can make your way to the stadium if you want to protest it being on Peacock. <laughs> um, tonight, we're going to start our opening drive with the coaching carousel scooping up Chris O'Leary. 
why the job was attracted to O'Leary. Um, Notre Dame actually, from a source that I talked to, countered with a higher financial offer. But Chris O'Leary, who had been the safeties coach for the past three years and had been at Notre Dame in various roles for six, he was um, he really had NFL aspirations that he wanted to chase at this point in his career. He was actually interviewed for a position with a different NFL team last offseason and decided to take this one up on it. Um, he has a past association with both the Chargers defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, who left Michigan with Harbaugh for the Chargers. Also, two-time ND defensive coordinator Rick Minter. They have an association as well, and Rick will have a supporting role with the Chargers coaching staff as well. And then the third connection is his time at Notre Dame also overlapped Mike Elston's final years of his run at Notre Dame before heading to Michigan. And Elston also left Michigan for an opportunity in Los Angeles. So Tyler, do you want me to explain or do you want to explain what, how we think um, Notre Dame deals with the loss this close to spring practice in terms of who's taking over what as we move forward? Uh, how about you go ahead? You were did the, you led our reporting on this when I was making up Super Bowl prop bets on Sunday. Uh, so I'll let you do that. Um, and uh, I'll try to ask you some questions about how you think this is going and or okay. in terms of if you think it's the right decision and, and, and how that will play out. So Max Boa, who was the grad assistant in charge of linebackers, uh, this past season, is expected to be promoted to the full-time linebackers coach. And then Mike Mickens is expected to take over safeties and corners. He was already the defensive passing game coordinator. He's been coaching cornerback for the past four years at Notre Dame. Um, and then Al Golden is a roving instructor, so he could help out with the defensive backs. I think they're likely to get help from a grad assistant. Um, also in the defensive backfield there. But I think they're in good hands. They could always reconfigure it next year. I guess they could reconfigure it later. But I think this is the way that they're going to go at this point. And, and it, it seems to make sense. Max Bola is in demand. I know there's a lot of people that would like to uh, take a look at him as maybe a full-time assistant on their staff. So him getting a promotion keeps a pretty valuable coach, I think, with the Irish. Yeah, I think Notre Dame was probably likely to lose Max Bola as a as a graduate assistant. I think he could only sort of stay in that position for so long in terms of other schools wanting him. Um, he's even developed um, some chops as a recruiter, going out on the road recruiting and developing relationships with guys. Um, Teddy Rezac told me a story last year. Uh, he was in a meeting and – Max Bola was walking him through sort of some instructions and Teddy was like, it was so involved. I started sweating and I've never sweated on a, on a visit with a coach before. Um, so it was, uh, it, I think that would be an interesting move. Uh, I think the thing that I wonder about is, is that enough assistant coaches to be assigned on the defense? Um, and my suggestion um, not that anyone cares or will listen to me is that maybe Marty Biagi can, give some help at a position, whether that's defensive backs. I know he has some defensive backs coaching experience. 
Um, I looked at the four playoff teams um, and their coaching staffs and how they were assigned. Three of the four only have four assistants assigned to defense, which that includes the defensive coordinator position coaches. But those three also had a special teams coordinator helping at one position, um, whether it was like outside linebackers or I think someone had edges. I think there's different ways. Maybe I think one might have been a safeties coach of some sort. Um, so maybe that's something that Notre Dame can rely on. Obviously, a graduate assistants can help with that. Um, so th- that would be, I think, maybe my biggest concerns. Not not as much about whether or not Mike Mickens can handle cornerbacks and safeties, but if they just need one more guy to be helping out there with the defensive stuff um, and how that will work out. What do you What are your thoughts on that, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get somebody that's in the maybe experience realm of Max Bola at the defensive backs position, if Marty Biaggi isn't able to help as much as you like, and you could have a combination of both, but somebody to run drills when you're doing cornerback-specific drills and safety-specific drills. And I do think it's important, given how many young safeties, young developing talented safeties are going to be on this team, Mm -hmm. you're going to have Xavier Watts and you're going to have Rod Hurd the second, and then you're going to have a sophomore and a bunch of red shirt and true freshmen and that need to be developed. So yeah, I, I do think it's important and um, will definitely help out Mike Mickinson. And I'm sure they've thought of that. And certainly, I mean, Marcus is a defensive coach, but he needs to spread himself around uh, elsewhere. And, and again, you know, could Al Golden help a little bit back there? Probably. Um, But I think, again, if you got a really good grad assistant, the caliber of Max Bulla to linebackers, the equivalent of that, I think that would be the best solution here. Before before we move on and talk a little bit more about this, we have some questions and they're all basically related to this. Um, So I'll throw them in here. First one's from Mike DeVoy. Uh, can you explain the difference in the roles of grad assistant versus an al- analyst? The recent changes led me to wonder about this. So the NCAA actually pro- made a proposal last year that didn't end up passing that would have blurred the line more. So here's where the line remains. Grad assistants can do on-field coaching. Mm-hmm. Analysts cannot do on-field coaching. That's the biggest difference. I, I think grad assistants have more responsibility. And certainly somebody like Max Bola was elevated over all the other grad assistants. He had much more responsibility. Chris Watt was in a similar. Yeah. James Laurinaitis too. Yeah. James Laurinaitis. So Notre Dame has been elevating those guys, but that is the biggest difference is the on-field coaching and what they can do on game day and practice versus what they can't do. And again, the NCAA, I think, would eventually like to blur that line and also take the cap off of the number of coaches that you have, which would be a really interesting arms race there. And I, I do also think you have to be enrolled in some sort of graduate level courses, too. I think that w- that's what makes you a graduate assistant. Um, I don't know if that's changed, but I, I think that's the sort of the basis of it. And that's why there's a rule that you can only do it for a certain amount of years after you've graduated and it's we've learned that it's different when you've got, you're talking about guys who have played in the NFL, which, which applied to like James Laronis and even Max Bola. 
um, to allow them to be graduate assistants at, at a more advanced age than you would normally see. I believe also there used to be a pretty tight cap on what they could make. I think that cap went way up. And mm -hmm. so that's why you see, saw James Laurinaitis come over here and, you know, he wasn't doing it for pennies. I, I think when Bryant Young did do it, he was making pennies um, when he was doing it in the Charlie Weiss era. Very right. Briefly. All right. Jeffrey Stevens asked, do you think that the declaration a few months ago by Marcus Freeman that Mike Mickens was ready to be a defensive coordinator gave Chris O'Leary the indication that his advancement at Notre Dame was limited? Not at all. Um, I think that he knew that he was very valued. And again, the context was I asked the question about Mike Mickens. I didn't say who of your assistants is ready to be a coordinator. I just specifically asked about Mike Mickens at that point. Um, but I, I, again, from what I had understand, I had spoken with people about this. Chris O'Leary's had a hankering to eventually get to the NFL. He wanted to give that a try. And this was eventually going to happen at some point that that was his next move. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's like related to like, well, maybe Mike Mickens will be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator whenever Al Golden moves on. I don't, I think just Marcus Freeman, Flatly thinks Mike Mickens is a good enough coach to be a defensive coordinator, whether it's at Notre Dame or elsewhere. Obviously, he wants to keep him at Notre Dame, uh, but I think you know, that's just the respect he has for him, and um, he believes that he has the ability to and to handle. He's kind of earned that respect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not. Yeah, it's not just when because he came in, that cornerbacks group was not well thought of, and he's recruited well and developed well. Um, and then, lastly, from Chris W, is there any Ivan Taylor news? Um, and I assume that's related to Chris O'Leary leaving. Um, as far as I know, uh, Ivan Taylor is still committed to Notre Dame. I, I think he's going to evaluate things. I think everyone is going to evaluate things when something like this happens. But my um, reporting indicates that he's not in a rush to sort of get out of Notre Dame's class. He really likes Notre Dame for more than just Chris O'Leary, although Chris O'Leary was a big part of his recruitment. Um, and so Notre Dame is – and has been working on making sure that he's developing relationships with other members of the staff, Mike Mickens, and making sure that um, he still sees Notre Dame as, as the path to his best potential. And, and I think this again, goes back to Marcus Freeman having a relationship with recruits early in the process where there were times. And I mean, I think if Brian Kelly was, if, his recruiting coordinators demanded it of him. He probably would have maybe changed his ways a little bit. And I think he does it a little bit more at LSU, but there were times Brian Kelly was kind of a stranger with those recruits. And, and if a position coach left, it was like, I really don't know Brian Kelly that well. Um, and so this, we see it time and again, that, that relationship that Marcus Freeman forges with these recruits has really helped with keeping classes together and keeping recruits from getting too panicky about uh, position coach leaving. Because you really look at the shelf life of assistants mm -hmm. and they tend to move around. Some of Brian Kelly's didn't. I mean, Mike Elston stayed a long time. Right. Uh, but but generally, guys move around every three or four years at, at, at the most. That's why with Mike Mickens shelf life coming up here, you're like, well, um, 
you know, he's probably going to be have a lot of offers to be a coordinator if he's not Notre Dame's next defensive coordinator. So looking at this at, from a farther back, what, what do you think is this sort of all told loss or gain here from Notre Dame with Chris O'Leary's departure, um, especially with the, it being so close to spring practice? I think Chris always impressed me as a guy that was really able to explain how he went about teaching these guys. And you could see the teaching going on and the development going on. He had a lot of players that he had to convert from other positions, whether it was cornerbacks or Xavier Watts being a wide receiver. And he also recognized the talent. I was talking to, to Mamali at the, um, we were talking at the uh, interviews between them on Friday and we remembered Chris being, Hey, I wanted Xavier Watts from the moment I saw him, I wanted him on defense and mm -hmm. um, he eventually got him. So I think he was a really good evaluator. I think his recruiting was hit and miss. I mean, he didn't recruit Kyle Hamilton. He, he was Hamilton's coach, but he didn't recruit him. Right. And, they had some swings and misses on some big safety recruits, but man, the guy could absolutely coach and he was a very good evaluator. And I think he was starting to gain some real traction with right. attracting better safety prospects. Yeah. I think he seems to be, he had been getting better as a, as a recruiter. I mean, if you just look at the stars, I mean, he, his two four-star safety commits in the 2025 class with Ivan Taylor and Ethan Long, um, Bronte Johnson was the best recruit that he signed as, as a recruiter um, for Notre Dame. Kennedy Erlacher's another four-star recruit. Tate Brown, Benny Powell was a three-star. Adon Schuler was a three-star from Rivals. And Ben Minnick ended up being a four-star. Um, so there was there was some improvement there on a year-by-year -year basis. I think he was starting to cash in more and more on having that credibility of, hey, he coached Kyle Hamilton and now he coached Xavier Watts. Um, and right. the, his, his resume as an assistant coach coaching safeties um, was getting more and more impressive. And he, that was being, he was able to translate that into having recruiting success as well. Both Kennedy Erlocker. Now this is before oh, coach O'Leary told him he was leaving both Kennedy Erlocker, who was one of the interviews Friday and um, Jordan Clark who plays nickel. Um, they both pointed out, that his tutelage of Kyle Hamilton played into their process. Mm -hmm. So people did make that connection. Yeah. So um, if we're going to move on, Tyler. Um, yep. So in other staff news, Tyler handled this today. Harris Biven is leaving LSU for Notre Dame to join Mike Dembrock's offensive staff as an offensive analyst. He was the assistant director of operations in his one year at LSU. Why don't you tell me, tell us a little bit more about his background and why that last name Biven sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with the last part there. Biven um, is familiar because he is the older brother of Hunter Biven, a former Notre Dame, who is currently the associate athletic director for alumni relations. Um, Hunter Biven did a lot of work when he was working with specifically the football program. He's broadened out to work with all the different, um, athletics programs now but when he's working for the football program uh helped sort of put together the legacy 
weekend with former players getting back to campus and doing with stuff around the blue scads of former players yeah back with a lot of them coming back for the blue gold game um and so that's why the name sounds familiar um from owensboro kentucky uh harris has been all over the place in terms of coaching he's been coaching since he, he played for four years um at murray state uh and ended up being an fcs all-american there um but became a graduate assistant there um and then since then uh was a western kentucky graduate assistant samford offensive tackle samford with an m um in case my my congestion makes that unclear um he so he didn't he didn't coach with sanford and son <laughs> no uh he spent a couple seasons at juco schools including one as an offensive coordinator um he was an offensive line coach for two years at uh, moorhead state um so a lot of offensive line experience there um like, like eric mentioned he was the director assistant director of operations at lsu so had some work on that side as well which is where um hunter actually made made his his career started to progress as a post football career. Um, so an interesting addition Notre Dame had lost two senior offensive analysts this off season, Caleb Carbine and Kevin Reiner, both um, had ties to Jared Parker and followed Jared Parker to Troy. Um, they're now all the offensive line coach and then offensive tackle and tight ends coach respectively down there. Um, and so they've been replaced by Trent miles um, and now Harris Biven. So Notre Dame is, continuing to churn through its off-season analysts and graduate assistant changes. Um, and like we talked about earlier, the, the differences in those titles, these guys do more off the field work, more analyzing tendencies and, and doing some scouting and, and helping with that, those kinds of things. Um, but certainly have important roles behind the scenes that we might not always hear about. So on Friday, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we had a chance to interview a lot of um, all the defensive newcomers, kicker Mitch Jeter, a guy that's kind of a newcomer and kind of not in Kanokia, and uh, one offensive newcomer, Jack Larson, who wasn't able to make it to the last round of interviews. So I think I'm going to start with Kahanokia. To me, I thought he okay. was the most compelling interview of anybody. Um, and, and one thing that we learned about him, Tyler, was the position, kind of the position that he's going to play, at least the position group. So why don't we start there and then you kind of fan out to what you felt like was interesting with him and I can ask you some questions. Yeah, so he's working with linebackers. He, we, we drilled him down on that and he's like, they are keeping me separate from Vipers. That is not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm working with linebackers. We'll see. Which is where he played in 20, 2021. Yeah, he played a little bit of both, and uh, mo but most of his time was spent playing special teams, at least in games. He had seven tackles in, in eight games as a freshman. Four of those came against Navy when he had some more defensive assignments. Um, and so he's working at linebacker, working himself back into good shape. I, I, that was one of the things that I learned the most about that I honest, honestly didn't have enough information on is that how strict the rules were in terms of what he was or wasn't allowed to do during his mission. Most of his workouts were in-home workouts. He couldn't go to a gym. Um, he couldn't watch Notre Dame games on TV unless he just so happened to be in a restaurant and it was on television or something like that. And, the, and they um, were in North Carolina where he was three times in the two-year, during his two-year mission. Yeah, so they're supposed to, like, avoid entertainment. 
Um, and he can only talk to his family once. So a he week. couldn't listen to Tyler sing karaoke. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, now he could have. I mean, he, he's free to do whatever he wants now. But no, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, an interesting story. It'll be fascinating to see how he gets back into the swing of things, how he develops. Um, he was adamant about getting back to Notre Dame, and that never really changed in his mind. Even though when he's in that process, it feels like a long way from from where he's at in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the time uh, it being two years spending doing that. So uh, a very fun kid to talk to. Um, and I'll be, I'll be interested to see how, how, how he plays out, how, how things play out for him. Um, linebacker positions, there's probably a better chance to play there maybe um, because the depth isn't really long. Um, whereas Viper, I think they're probably at least three deep in guys you think could play for Notre Dame this season being Jordan Botello, um, Junior Tui Halamaka and Bubakar Traori. So I think uh, we'll see what Kahanu Kia can do at that linebacker position. And certainly you would imagine that he can find some special teams roles as well. Right. So his younger brother, Ka'o, um, mm-hmm. committed recently, and he'd be in the 2025 class. Uh, Kahanu, his NCAA clocks paused when he was on his mission. And so he's a sophomore. This would have been his senior year. He is now classified as a true sophomore. Um, so that's going to be interesting with him being an older kid and physically mature. Um, I'm really intrigued. He's kind of a wild card on defense uh, into what he's going to turn into. He's not sure whether they're going to play him inside or outside linebacker, but he's ready to play either. And and what Tyler mentioned about him saying that he never wavered, there are kids that do waver on their mm-hmm. missions and they don't go back to their original school and they don't have to. This was even before the transfer rules um, became so liberal. Um, you could, with a Mormon mission, you didn't need to sit out. Um, you were basically a free agent when you went on that mission and when you came back. So uh, him coming back was not necessarily guaranteed. The last Notre Dame player that did go on a Mormon mission, Chris Badger did come back, but then uh, a lot of a lot had changed and he ended up transferring to BYU after being back for a season. Really a lot had changed for Kahanu. I mean, the head coach had changed. Fortunately for him, Marcus Freeman had been here as defensive coordinator, but there were a lot of changes on the coaching staff since he was here. And his little brother, Ka'o, really grew up. He was really surprised at how good of a, not how good of a player he was, but how much he had filled out because he didn't see him in person for two years. Yeah. 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 it was interesting to see. He, he he was jealous of how long his arms were. <laughs> He's like, man, I, I want I want my arms to be that long. Um, and I, I know I didn't mention this. Um, he, the mission was with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Um, that's the preferred name that most people would refer to as the Mormon religion. Um, so I, I just in case folks weren't aware of that or didn't read the story, that is, that was the the mission that he was that he was dealing with with that religion. And if you did not read the story, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> so, um, Tyler, you also had a chance to talk to Bryce Young. 
Six foot seven, and boy, he looked every bit of it. Although he was saying that he was six foot six, yeah. Um, I've I've never heard of a player that fudged down his height <laughs> by an inch. Um, and it sounds like he's around two fifty now, pushing two fifty. He was listed at two forty one when he came yep. in the door in January, so he's already up to two fifty. So, what were your impressions of Bryce Young? Defensive yeah, so impression. so may, so maybe that tells us not to think that the roster heights and weights are gospel when, when he's already an inch shorter and 10 pounds heavier than what he was listed at. But um, yeah, I was very impressed by Bryce Young. Um, I, it was a question I asked specifically and it's, it's wild to me, like how far he's come since I was watching him at a Sunday, I think it was a what they, Sunday night football camp is what they called that camp back then a couple summers ago. Um, he was off of his sophomore year, had played some wide receiver and outside linebacker, was really raw, um, definitely had decent size, but nothing like what he looks like now. Um, and Notre Dame was his first offer. You don't see that a lot from where Notre Dame is the first school to offer someone. Um, certainly, I think the fact that he was Bryant Young's son probably played a role in that and Notre Dame having some more confidence of where he may be heading in his background. Um but Notre Dame made that offer. They really saw something in him. I, I was a little surprised. I thought, like, well, maybe he can become something eventually. But I didn't know that – I didn't necessarily think that, okay, Notre Dame should offer him now and get way ahead of everyone. And and that's what Notre Dame did. Al Washington, Al Golden, and Marcus Freeman saw something in him. And I think uh, that bet really has paid off so far. Obviously, he's still got a lot to prove in his college career. But he's really become an impressive-looking prospect. Um he he's still young in the game. He only started playing high school football as a freshman. Um, they wanted to make sure they he avoided any sort of head injuries while he was a young uh, child playing football. Um, so they didn't let him play hot contact football until um, high school. So just a lot to work with there. Um, and someone that has a great attitude, great perspective, I think, on, on, on the game and, and what Notre Dame means. And so I, I really enjoyed spending time talking to him. And I think that Marcus needs to keep Micah Shrewsbury away from him because I think he can help the basketball team just <laughs> by scaring people. Um, but do you think, you know, you haven't seen him play, and we know, again, spring practice is going to start March 7th, so we'll get our first look at him on March 7th. But do you think it's realistic that he could end up in the two deeps or at least in a loose rotation at that field end spot by the sometime in the 2024 season. I don't think he would be necessarily in the two deeps um, without an injury. I, I think that it probably ends up being RJ Oban and Joshua Burnham as those two guys that I think will rotate a lot at that field end position. But I do think that he could find a way into some playing time um, and find a role there. Um, how much remains to be seen, but I do think he has that sort of potential um, and size that is just, not something you see a lot from Notre Dame at the defensive end position. Okay. Um, do we need to take any questions or are we going to roll on to some? Uh, yeah, we got a number of questions here we okay. can uh, we can roll with. Uh, let's go to um, Jason Smith. Uh, how is the contact with recruits, let's say Marcus Freeman, is it scheduled out weeks that on this day at this time I scheduled to text or call this player? How do they schedule the contact? I'll let you answer that, and I will mention to some of you that are wondering about recruits, we're going to have a recruiting section here coming up a little bit later in the show. Yeah, I think 
it's definitely scheduled out. There are multiple people that are working on scheduling things for um, the coaching staff, whether it's Marcus Freeman or other assistants. And they, uh, especially when they're very interested in a recruit, they try to do schedule like, okay, let's talk once a week. Um, there may be daily texts sent here or there, but they want to at least like have a phone conversation with a guy once a week if they can. Um, so they'll try to make something that works for everyone's schedule um, and try to stick to that and uh, make sure that those kids feel like they're being prioritized and, and know that Notre Dame is always interested in, in what they're doing. And uh, especially if it's a weekly conversation, they're not going to be talking about football all the time. They're just going to be talking about what's going on in, in their lives and um, just try to, to strengthen a relationship with those recruits. What all right. Um, we have a few different Super Bowl related questions if we want to tackle those. Um, Chris W asked, were you aware of the OT rules last night? I was not. I listened to them at the beginning of overtime and I looked them up because I wasn't sure. Yeah, we were we were arguing at the party that I was at and of having no I think there was too much noise for us to hear everything that they said on the on the broadcast. So we were definitely confused, and the clock was running down at the end. We're like, "What? What is going on? Why aren't they calling timeout?" Um, but yeah, it, apparently it sounded like some of the 49ers players didn't even know how how it works. So, um, which that is not good. Yeah, that's yeah. You can't you can't really have that. Um, so I think plenty of people learn now i don't think anyone's gonna not know uh moving forward uh so it was an interesting situation um that that happened last night um interstate stances can you explain shanahan winning overtime coin toss and then kicking a field goal when he needed a touchdown well he didn't necessarily need a touchdown um well i mean it ended up that he needed one (laughs) the way the chiefs responded but Right. I mean, he was counting on his defense to either force a turnover on downs or force a turnover. He was, or get a field goal and then they continue on. Right. That was what he was counting on. And then the, um, what, um, game that was played into the teens and regulation, um, you know, I think he thought that was a safe bet. I mean, yeah. one of one of Kansas City's touchdowns was because of the punt yep. goof up. Yeah, I, I think the problem is that Patrick Mahomes put so much pressure on the opposing team that whatever decision you make, I think is going to always feel like you're going to be in a bad spot because Mahomes is getting the ball no matter what in overtime. And so you're like, well, we can try to score a touchdown. If we don't, then all I need is a field goal. Um, and then if – even if we do score a touchdown, they're they're gonna probably respond. So I, I think I think right. There are advantages to <clears throat> going first and going second. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of uh debate about whether or not you should try to get the opening kickoff or kick it off if you win this coin toss. Um, but again, I think it comes back to that. Like, so was was San Francisco's defense any more likely to stop Kansas City from scoring a touchdown if Kansas City had the ball first? I, I don't know. Um, I think with Patrick Mahomes in that spot, um, it's going to be tough to stop him. Uh, but I, I do think there's probably do, do more. Do you like the playoff overtime rule uh, versus the college overtime rule? Um, I guess. I, I don't know. I, don't, I like the college overtime rule. 
I like the old college overtime rule where they didn't go to two point conversions. Only yeah, that yeah, fast. agreed. Yeah, yeah, I don't love that either. Maybe, maybe, maybe if it was let, let's start at the fifty instead of the twenty five or something, and so it's not like an automatic automatic points. But I guess yeah, because those kickers, right? Yeah, the, pretty once good they start that close. So, so maybe I mean, they were that talking would... about a sixty one yard field goal for the Kansas City kicker. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, that was where the line was. I think that he, yeah. Oh, he's in range. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what the right answer is. I think giving both teams a chance to score, regardless of what happens, I do like better than what the regular season overtime yeah. is for, for, um, the NFL. So, um, I, I, like I said, I wasn't sure what the rule was when it began, but, um, it played out certainly in an interesting way. Um, <laughs> a comment here from Blyberg. Uh, Eric is looking like a character from House of Cards sitting in his office. <laughs> I think, I think we got to get Eric a little bit of some backlighting, so so he looks like he's not in the dark there as as much. Um, and Bly, Blyberg also a- asked uh, a recruiting question. Any news on Jack Lang? Um, Jack Lang remains someone that Notre Dame is interested in, and and Jack is interested in Notre Dame. Um, I don't think he's the most likely of the remaining offensive tackles. Um, to commit to Notre Dame out there. Uh, I at last week, um, I made a future cast for Matty Augustine to commit to Notre Dame after Owen Strebig, obviously, who committed to Notre Dame last week. Um, so, uh, Jack Lang is still out there, but I don't think he's, um, in a position to commit to Notre Dame, um, in short order. So, we'll see how that recruitment continues to play out. So, so how many tackles are they going to take? Um, I think they're okay with three if that's what they have to do. I think they would like to get to four if they can, um, but I think there's some some variables at play there that that may limit Notre Dame's ability to take the four it wants to. Um, so Notre Dame is going to continue to evaluate things there and, and move forward with potentially three if it can get Maddie Augustine on there and then see if it can get a, get a fourth in the class. All right. Um, one more question from Jeffrey Stevens: Is the biggest offseason story on injuries the rehab of Mitchell Evans's knee? I don't know. I don't think it's the biggest um, offseason story, but I do think it's an important one. Um, I think no. He means specifically about injuries. Is there oh, any other injury story that's the biggest one? I think is what he means. That's how I interpret it, at least. Well, for for uh, about half a second, it looked like Riley Leonard's ankle. That's a joke. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that, uh, you know, Rocco Spindler is expected back for spring. Um, I would say yes in terms of uh, injury rehabs. I would say Mitchell Evans, yes, the most important. Yeah, there's, 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 there's no other combination of very good player and – serious injury that sort of matches Mitchell Evans um, in that, in that uh, very specific category proposed by Jeffrey Stevens. All right. That's all I got. Continue on Eric. Okay. So a couple of the other newcomers, I did a couple stories from them uh, today, Jordan Clark. um, And we'll start there. Jordan is a grad transfer from Arizona state. He is going to be playing the nickel position. For Notre Dame, he's the son of NFL safety Ryan Clark, or former NFL safety Ryan Clark. He played 13 years in the league, a former LSU player himself. Um, 
So, Tyler, is there any doubt after we talked to Jordan where he fits on defense that he is definitely playing nickel? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's playing nickel. Um, I had, had suggested maybe if something changes at safety, or maybe like Adon Schuler better than Rod Hurd um, going into the fall, that maybe Rod Hurd tries to battle him at, at nickel. But to me, there's just really not. I mean, and this is why Notre Dame targeted the nickelback position in the portal. There's not an obvious nickel on Notre Dame's roster um, at this point. Um, I think Christian Gray might be able to give you something there, but I like him more on the outside. I. I Jaden Mickey has had his struggles at times. The majority of his struggles have been when he's been asked to play nickel. Um, so uh, that's what Notre Dame wants him to do and then and target him to do so. Um, and we'll see if he can um, deliver on a position that's been pretty successful for Notre Dame the last two seasons with Tariq Bracey and Thomas Harper. And the nickel position has been very important to Al Golden's defenses at Notre Dame. So, um, uh, you know, I think people wonder, well, what about Clarence Lewis? I mean, Clarence did play some nickel last year. I'm not sure what his future at Notre Dame is going to look like. Um, and then Micah Bell is a guy that probably has that skill set, but they very much targeted Jordan Clark to be their nickel. And I'll get into this. I, I just thought the process that Notre Dame put together, and you really got a, a feel for it when you talk to Jordan Clark about how much, how well researched they are, how well choreographed this whole transfer recruiting process is. Um, and it's pretty impressive. So one of the things they did was they had cutups of Thomas Harper side by side with Jordan Clark, and they showed him how he would be used. Um, just their knowledge of his, his background um, that he was so familiar and people were familiar with him. For example, his dad had interviewed uh, Marcus the summer before on his podcast, on George, uh, Ryan Clark's podcast uh, the summer before. The Arizona State coach and Marcus talked, uh, Coach Dillingham. And uh, then he also knew a couple of guys on the team Jaden Osbury went to his high school in Baton Rouge, and then he knew Ben Morrison from when he lived in Phoenix, apparently. Um, they knew each other from preschool. So, um, But I just thought I was impressed with how much Notre Dame put into it. He had a lot of good things to say about Chad Bowden and what he was able to do during this process. I mean, they leave nothing to chance. And again, they researched him before. They even knew whether he was going to be in the portal or not, and they were ready when he was because it's such a compressed uh, time time crunch in getting into the portal, shopping for a team, and committing. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff they'll try to do with recruits, but they have a way longer runway with recruit, high school recruits than they do with with uh, these transfer portal guys. So, so Notre Dame um, puts those presentations together and, and tries to impress them and capture – their attention as much as possible and, and get them bought into what it what it would be like to to come to Notre Dame. I thought it was interesting that he didn't even listen to the, his dad's podcast, yeah. Marcus Freeman, uh, which is pretty funny. Even though he definitely spoke very highly about how helpful his dad has been in this process and, and in his football career. Um, but uh, yeah, and Michael Parks uh, just mentioned that he was injured last season, was dealing right. with an injury um, that required some 
bl literal bloodletting, right? Like he had to get some blood drained from him. Uh, his, his leg. Uh, was he had a quad contusion that lingered. The effects of it lingered pretty much all season. Yeah, so we'll see what he can look like healthy for Notre Dame. And uh, like I mentioned, the, the nickelback role is incredibly important for Notre Dame's defense under Al Golden um, and just with the offenses that you face um, in college football these days. Jordan was certainly optimistic about him being physical enough. He is right. smaller than Harper. I mean, he's 179 right now, um, and Thomas Harper was 195, and they're about the same height. Uh, but, you know, his dad was a NFL safety. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, if he knocks some drywall uh, off the, you know, Broke broke some drywall in the house that he probably didn't get as trouble for it as I would have at my house. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd even scold myself. So, the other um, guy you, you talked to uh, and wrote a story about Eric was Mitch Jeter. Um, right. What uh, what was the biggest takeaway that you had from that conversation? Um, why did why did he end up at Notre Dame? Why he ended up at Notre Dame was. He felt like, you know what, I played four years at South Carolina. I'd like to experience something different. I also want to have a chance to play for a national championship. His perception of Notre Dame's program just, I mean, they played each other in the Gator Bowl at the end of the 2022 season, right. but his perception of Notre Dame versus South Carolina was Notre Dame at this point is in a much better position to challenge for a national championship than South Carolina. Uh, he was a big fan of Marcus Freeman, and he also was a big fan of Marty Biaggi. Now, he had an outstanding special teams coach at South Carolina, Pete Lembo. But Pete ended up leaving shortly after Mitch committed to Notre Dame. Pete is now the head coach at Buffalo, the university, not um, the Buffalo not the Bills. Bills. Yeah. Right. But I hate to say university because it's university at Buffalo. It's not university of Buffalo, which is so awkward when you're <laughs> writing. People think that you have a typo. So I just try to say Buffalo. Um, but, you know, one thing that he really embraced was, again, Marty Biaggi and Lauren Lando. Now, he didn't know Lauren Lando was going to be here uh, necessarily when he started shopping for schools. But really was on board with Lauren and he really likes the position specific training that he's not doing the same training everybody else is doing that it's very specific to movements of a kicker you know he has been very accurate he's 23 of 25 that's 92 percent for the people that aren't math majors including me I only know because they calculated it for me um <laughs> But 92% would be the best in Notre Dame history if he kept that trajectory. 23 of 25. Two of his misses have been over 50 yards, but he's made three kicks of over 50 yards. He kicked a 45-yarder against Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl and I think six, five extra points. Um, but pretty interesting guy. He's got a background of growing up in North Carolina. He was a soccer player and was definitely going to try to get a soccer scholarship or play professionally coming out of high school. He and his friends were goofing around at a division two college stadium on a Sunday and 
they were just playing football and he decided to kick some field goals and he nailed a 40 yarder and everybody kind of said, maybe you should give that a try. And in the <laughs> middle of his season, middle of his sophomore year, he went to the coach at the high school and said, could I come out for the team? Well, this team had so few players, they had to combine with another school to have enough to have a team. So he's like, of course, we don't have a punter or a kicker. Yes, you can be that and many other things. So he Yeah, what else out. do you want to do? Yeah. yeah. Then he started working out with a professional kicking coach named Dan Orner. And Dan also works with Bryce McPherson, who's also from that suburban Charlotte area and went to a small school there. So Bryce and uh, Mitch knew each other, even though Bryce was a couple of years behind him in school. And then he started getting preferred walk-on offers and those turned into scholarship offers and uh, off he went. So he's, I think Notre Dame got one of the best, I mean, maybe the best specialist that was in the portal in this cycle. This is something that someone mentioned on our message board is, is that Notre Dame and Marty Biaggi was pretty uh, straightforward with like, this is sort of our model moving forward is bringing in grad transfer kickers who have a proven track record rather than trying to roll the dice on freshman kickers is, do you think the pool will continue to be big enough once the COVID eligibility years dry up um, across college football? I think it'll become smaller because you then would be counting on somebody redshirting one of those years, like their mm -hmm. freshman year. But again, if you're bringing in freshmen, you're, you have all these grad transfers, but they would like to stay in that mode. With quarterbacks, they're committed to wanting to go away from that in the next cycle. With kickers, they would like to stay with it. And Marty Biaggi explained why, and he was a high school kicker that got recruited, but there's so many variables in high school that you just don't know. And, and why would you take a high school kid as town as he is when you could get somebody where you have actual college film and you know how they perform under pressure in big crowds and all that stuff. So it, it's really difficult, but you're right. I mean, it could dry up a little bit with the COVID year, the same thing with other kinds of grad transfers. Right. Yeah. And I'll be, it's going to be interesting to see like how nationally the sort of market responds, like, will there be less high schoolers, offered scholarships as a result. And so do you have to be more um, active recruiting walk-on kickers and then hoping that those pan out in the, in the case that you can't bring in a grad transfer. Um, certainly it's not easy to get someone to walk on at Notre Dame just because of the price. Uh, so you're looking for a well-off person, well-off person from a well-off family that can afford to do that and take that um, gamble and feel that, Hey, even if I don't end up getting a scholarship at Notre Dame, the, the education is worth it. Um, so I think, uh, it'll be, it'll be sort of a small thing that I don't know that a lot of people are going to pay a lot of attention to, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of develops and continues to evolve with the current, uh, landscape of the transfer portal. Okay. Uh, do we want to move on to our recruiting segment or is it? Let's do that. Yeah. I got one non-football question that I'll squeeze in at the end, even though it's a football never sleep show, I'll allow it from Joseph Barrett. We'll, but we'll get to that later. Okay, so our recruiting reset, uh, Notre Dame got two verbal commitments last week. The first one was from four-star offensive tackle Owen Strebig, 
he announced his decision last Thursday. And then on Saturday, three-star wide receiver Elijah Burris verbally committed to Notre Dame. So let's start with Owen. He, um, big offensive tackle from Wisconsin. How big of a commitment is this? Not literally. I mean, he's six foot eight. And how does this compare to Reese? How does his uh, potential compare to recent Irish offensive tackle commits? Yeah, definitely a big time get. Like you mentioned, he is the number six overall overall offensive tackle in the 2025 class and then number 66 overall, regardless of position in the 2025 class put he's, so it puts him like in the middle of the range of Rocco Spindler and Billy Shrouth were top 100 guys, even though those guys are guards at Notre Dame. Um, and then Blake Fisher and Kirby Lambert have been more on the high end of being like in the top 40 Blake Fisher, even being a five-star on rivals. Kirby Lambert was just inside the top 40. Um, so Somewhere between those guys, we'll see where where Owen lands eventually as the recruiting rankings certainly evolve throughout his senior season and and following that. Um, I I would I think it's easy to say that he's probably a better prospect than Styles Prescott and Anthony Knapp, who are the other two freshmen Notre Dame signed um, in the twenty twenty four class. Um, I think it's just a very good get for Joe Rudolph. Uh, he not only beat out Wisconsin, um, but Miami was really pushing hard. And, and Owen told me that Miami was actually the school that it was harder for him to say no to, um, a school that he recently visited after Notre Dame in, in January, um, but still felt Notre Dame was the place for him. Um, so he wanted to come it, down. It's probably hard to say. It, it could be, you know, uh, Owen, Owen 13, Owen 12 school. In South Florida, if you visit in January, that's hard to go home from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and he he actually was one of uh, several recruits. Nike football did a thing where they sent, I think they were called Next Next Ones Up or something like that, um, where they sent kids out to Las Vegas uh, this past weekend. I think they were there on Saturday and did like photo shoots and stuff like that. And Owen Strebig was the Wisconsin State uh uh player selected as as a representative of the Green Bay Packers. Um so he was out there. Damian Shanklin from Indiana, Warren Central kid that Notre Dame is after at the defensive end position was one of the guys that went out there as well. So he got a pretty cool experience this past weekend after committing to Notre Dame. Okay. And then Elijah Burris, who is the son of former Michigan State and NFL wide receiver Plaxico Burris. And mm -hmm. I was covering college football when Plaxico was a college player at Michigan State. So I was pretty impressed with Plaxico, but what do we think of Elijah? Yeah, Elijah is an interesting case in that he's not a big – honestly, when, when Notre Dame offered him, I had to create the rivals profile for him. Like that was how few offers he had. There weren't a lot of big-time programs that had offered him. We're talking about schools that we don't have team sites for. And so there wasn't a profile for him. Six foot one, 190 pounds out of DePaul Catholic in Wayne, New Jersey. Had 25 catches for 434 yards and five touchdowns um, in his junior season. Cincinnati, Duke, Toledo were some of his biggest offers. Um, I was, when I watched his film, I was a little surprised that he didn't have a bigger offer list, especially considering who his father is. Um, maybe it's a little bit of a reach for Notre Dame, but Notre Dame does not feel that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. 
Um, but I, I think there's potential there when you watch the film. And then Notre Dame had yet to receive a wide receiver commitment. Mike Brown's new on the job. So to get him some recruiting men, momentum going, um, Elijah Burris visited in January and, and really was high on the Irish. And so you have the green light to join the class. And Notre Dame will continue to to push for some other receivers, whether it's taking three or four total at that position. Um, but it's not not certainly not the headline grabber that Owen Strebig is. Um, the last name plays probably a bigger role than anything in terms of people being excited for Elijah Burris, but um, a good start. It's not something that now maybe he, maybe he, maybe he's like Bryce Young, right? Maybe he ends up being the Notre Dame's way ahead of the curve on him. Um, and he has a great senior season and, and everyone's like, wow, we should have, we should have got in on him, but um, we'll see how that, how that plays out with the rest of his high school career and, and what happens to him when he gets to Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is the number one recruiting class in the 2025 cycle. Any more commitments on the horizon? Um, I think there could be. I, I last week I put in Futurecast. Well, I put in one for Elijah Burris um, before he. Well, uh, you were right. <laughs> Pat yourself um, on the back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I actually I had one in for Owen Streebig since I think last July, so that was a, a big one for me to come come through on. Uh, but I put three new ones in Matty Augustine, the offensive tackle I mentioned earlier, um, who I think is the most likely next offensive tackle to commit to Notre Dame, Mark Zachary and Dallas Golden, a pair of cornerbacks, Zachary from Indiana down in Indianapolis and Dallas Golden in Florida down in Tampa. Um, Augustine, I think would be the one of those three that I think could maybe end up making a decision before the others. Um, but there's nothing announced there. So we'll see what happens. Um, with it, with those recruitments and others, but I think those are the three that I'm keeping the closest eye on right now, um, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But those guys um, visited for for Notre Dame's Junior Day um, back in January, which Owen Streetbig and Elijah Burris did as well. So I think we're going to see. Um, I know some people were like, "Well, we haven't seen any commitments coming out of that Junior Day yet. What's going on?" And I think I I was preaching patience, and I think that patience is starting to pay off for for Notre Dame fans if they if they indeed had it. And then any particular recruiting battles that you're looking forward to? I know that Charleston did a big story. So what inspired you from Charleston's story? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Mark Zachary one's interesting where it seemed like Ohio State was probably the toughest uh, competitor for Mark Zachary, but Ohio State has signed or got received commitments from a lot of top cornerbacks. So I'm not sure that Mark Zachary is necessarily going to be a take for Ohio State, which I know you don't feel like, well, we beat them by default. But, hey, if you get Mark Zachary in your class, I think you take it. But Michigan, I think, is the team that is now pushing to sort of be – do they have any coaches left? Um, they, yeah, right. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know how they can pull that off. Who's pushing? <laughs> uh, but uh, that is that is the feedback that I've been receiving is that he's very interested in Michigan as well. But um, Notre Dame uh, has done a good job in his recruitment, has been very um, uh, adamant about how much it wants him and very um, just always there for, for, for Mark Zachary and, and reminding him of what, what he could be at Notre Dame. Um, Damian Shanklin's another one. Ohio State has yet to offer. Um, he was supposed to get to Ohio State in January. That visit didn't come through, um, but he's still trying to get there in March. So I think if Ohio State jumps in there, that becomes a very interesting battle there um, with Ohio State and Notre Dame um, for potentially um, for a defensive end that Notre Dame really wants and, and someone that it, it 
is hoping could replace CJ May, um, who decommitted from the class um, at that defensive end position. Okay. Do we want to take some questions? We're getting toward well, we just hit the one hour mark. So I don't I don't think we have any. We got a lot of comments. Um, thank you for all those chiming in, Michael Parks, Corey Dean, um, Jeffrey Stevens, a lot of the, the normal crews, but uh, some names that we didn't I haven't seen before, so I appreciate that. I always love seeing new names in here. Jason Smith. Um, there, oh, there is one non-football question I forgot about. Um, this is for you, Eric. Joseph Barrett says, are you concerned with the women's basketball team? They don't have much depth. I am not concerned about that part of it. I, I think they've been able to play at this point with kind of that seven-person rotation. Now, the question is, can they elevate beyond what they are right now? Are they just a kind of a four or five seed kind of team that may get to the sweet 16, may not, but that's going to be the end of the road to them. You know, we see glimpses of it, certainly in the Connecticut game in the second, in the fourth quarter, in the overtimes of the Florida state game. And then we see, other days where where they feel like they have limits. I mean, they're going to be able to prove it. They play NC State on Thursday. They play Duke next Monday. They still have Virginia Tech and another game against Louisville. I think they need to split the Virginia Tech-NC State two games. I think they need to split the Louisville series, meaning they need to win the home game, and they need to beat everybody else, including Florida State, which they did in double overtime. The, the thing with Cass Prosper, that's the only possible really significant add at this point. Mm-hmm. My sense is that she'll redshirt, that at this point, for her to come back and burn a year of eligibility to play a couple of weeks probably isn't worth it to her and may not be worth it to Notre Dame to reintegrate her, redo the roles and so forth. Um, you know, it's I, I think they got enough you know, energy with their seven players, but they need to get everything out of those seven mm-hmm. uh, players. They can't have off nights at the same time, especially their stars. They can't have off. Hannah Hildago never has one, but, <laughs> but the, in the Louisville game, I think Maddie Westbelt and Sonia Citrone both kind of had off nights in the Florida state game. They were absolutely on. So um, it's going to, they're going to define themselves. This is either going to be a bridge year to a really good team next year, or they could still do something special. And we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I think probably the interior, um, at the post presence that, that Notre Dame has or doesn't have will probably be the Achilles heel of the team. But when you have someone like Hannah Hidalgo, I think you, you feel like you have a fighter's chance at all times. You never know what sort of special thing she can do in a game. So I think that, uh, I think they'll be entertaining, um, but uh, it's it's hard to rely on someone like that all the time, especially just as a freshman. Right, and and conceivably they will get back Emma Rish, who's a three point specialist and and has some height at six foot one. Olivia Miles, Cass Prosper, and they're adding a six five center, maybe the best center according to the, a recruiting analyst I talked to best center to come out of high school basketball in the last three or four years. Yeah. And so it should be an exciting, exciting times next season as well for Notre Dame women's basketball. If, 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 maybe 
if this season isn't giving you enough of what you'd like, I think the the lack of having Olivia Miles is really putting a little bit of a damper around the season. But certainly Hannah Hidalgo has has stepped up in a big way. But it'd be nice to see those two on the same court together. I all right, Neil would agree with you. <laughs> all right, Eric, that's all we got. What would you want to say before we get out of here? Use code NDYT for a three thirty day free trial of Inside ND Sports. Thanks to Legacy Heating and Air. And I appreciate all the kind words. And if you made any jabs toward Tyler singing, I appreciate that too. <laughs> yes. Please make sure you're subscribed to our channel here. Like I mentioned earlier, so I don't have to do any singing for you all. Um, hit the bell for reminders uh, when we have our next video. I think, Oh, next week, I think we're likely to do it Tuesday because there is a women's basketball game Monday night. Is that, that's correct. Right, Eric. Right. Which I'm um, covering. So we'll have Eric covering that women's basketball game. So we'll probably, do a Tuesday night, but we'll we'll keep you updated there. Make sure you get um, the reminder of when we'll go live, um, and uh, make sure you hit like. And even if you're watching this on replay, send us some comments uh, um, that you either disagreed or agreed with what we discussed tonight. I hope you all have a great week. <laughs>